Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we approach the task of preaching this morning, let us bow our hearts and our heads in prayer. Lord God, we ask for your spirit to be among us this morning, that you may open our minds and our hearts, our eyes and our ears to your word, and through it we may see your loving heart for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I'm going to ask you guys to buckle your seatbelts because we're going to plow through this parable. There's a lot of verses to get through, but there's so many good nuggets, so many good things in this parable. Jesus has a lot to teach us about ourselves, about himself, about God, about the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to take time this morning to uncover and unearth exactly what Jesus is getting at. We're kind of going to go at it like an onion. We're going to peel it back layer by layer until we get to the core of what's going on this morning. You see, if you were blessed to be one of the first hearers of this parable, if you were blessed to be the disciples, you would have been hanging on Jesus's every single word. Because this parable takes so many twists and so many turns. And by the end of it, with the ending of this parable, you have been blown out of your seat by what Jesus had to say. Now, as I was researching for this sermon and I was prepping for it, I came across some rare footage. Some footage of what the disciples' reaction actually was to this parable. Unbelievable. And I, I know. But let me set the context for you. You have Jesus saying that the master goes not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but he goes five times to hire laborers for his vineyard. And by the end of it, you have Jesus closing the whole parable by saying, I don't care what time the workers got there, they're going to get paid the same amount. And you have the disciples here. You have them saying, What? What? Are you kidding me? What? That's what the disciples were thinking. But I didn't hear anybody else say, What? At the end, when Pastor Finsky was done reading. And and that's uh, okay. Perhaps perhaps our reaction was, Holy cow, Pastor Finsky, when are you going to get done reading? This gospel lesson is really long. And it's preceded by a really long epistle reading. And that's okay. Or perhaps, perhaps your reaction was, I've heard this parable like 50 times before. But I invite you to, to journey with me as we unearth, as we discover, as we take back layer by layer of what Jesus is getting at. So let us begin. Verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who goes to the vineyard. But it's important that we stop there. It's important that we stop at the kingdom of heaven is like. Because the phrase the kingdom of heaven puts a frame around the entire parable. What exactly does Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? Because when we think of the word heaven, when we think of the word kingdom, we think of a a place. Heaven is a place where people who have died have, have gone, gone to. Perhaps we think of clouds 
angels. Perhaps we even think of the cliche harp. But that is not what Jesus is getting at at all when he says the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven isn't primarily a place at all. It's a work. It's an action. It's an active thing. The kingdom of heaven is God's restoration of his creation through the man Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Or short, it's God's active and saving work. God's saving work. So with that, the kingdom of heaven, God's saving work, is like a master who goes to the vineyard to hire workers. Now there's just a few more details that we need to get shored up before we get into the meat and the potatoes of this parable. And one of them has to do with the economy, with the jobs, because it's a little different now than it was back then. You see, jobs were based on a, a daily basis. And what I mean by that is that the employer, the master, would go to the marketplace every morning to hire workers for his vineyard. This idea of a full-time job that we know didn't really exist. In fact, the only people with a full-time job were the landowners, were the wealthy people. So if you were an employee, you would go to the marketplace and you would hope that somebody hires you. You'd hope that somebody hires you so you could put food on the table for your family so that you could provide an income. So at this point, the disciples wouldn't have really been shook, shooken up by what Jesus has said. That would just be more everyday living. But Jesus continues on with the parable. He says the master goes back to the vineyard. Now again, the disciples might have thought that was a little bit bizarre. Not totally out of the ordinary, but a little bizarre. The disciples might have been thinking, man, that master must have a pretty big vineyard. That master must have a lot of work to be done. That master must be pretty wealthy that he can pay for all of these workers. But after this, that, that's, that's when things get weird because Jesus continues on with the parable again. He says that the master goes back at the third hour, in the sixth hour, in the ninth hour. And by the time Jesus said that the master goes back to the, back to the marketplace, the eleventh hour, you have the disciples, they're saying, What? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Doesn't the master know that all of the workers left in the marketplace were the lazy ones? You see, if you didn't get yourself to the marketplace early in the morning, you were, you were kind of seen as, as lazy, as not really actively pursuing work. And Jesus makes a point to tell us that the workers that were in the marketplace were idle. They weren't actively pursuing work. And and how foolish of the master to hire workers at the 11th hour. For quitting time back in Bible times was the 12th hour. So this, this guy was only going to be hired for an hour. Enough time to walk down to the vineyard, pick a couple of grapes, and then be done for the, the day. But you see, Jesus has one more curveball to throw. And perhaps in the biggest turn of events yet, 
Jesus at the end of the parable, he says, I don't care what time the workers got there. They're getting, all, they're getting paid all the same amount of money. And you have the disciples here saying, what? What? Are you kidding me? That is completely and utterly ridiculous. That was completely and utterly ridiculous back in Bible times. You see, nobody, nobody would pay someone the same amount of money who worked one hour in the cool of the evening breeze the same amount of money as they would pay somebody who toiled in the hot, hot sun for 12 hours. You see, that's just bad business. It's not fair to the employees. You know, maybe that's the meat and potatoes of the parable. Maybe the disciples were thinking, that's not fair. Have you ever thought to yourself, that's not fair before? Ah, uh, sure, sure you have. We've all thought the phrase or said the phrase, that's not fair. Perhaps it was when you got passed up for a promotion. Perhaps it was seeing the same co-worker leave early for the third straight week. Perhaps it's getting pulled over for going five miles over the speed limit when some Yahoo just passed you going 90. We've all said, I'm confident that we've all said, and we've all thought in whatever, whatever context, whatever sit, sit situation, we've thought that's not fair. Because we, we like fair, fairness. We like equality. That's, that's just how we are. And it would make sense that one of God's char characteristics would be fairness. In fact, we, we expect God to be fair. A God that, that, that's not fair just really wouldn't make a lot of sense to us. God has a lot of people to deal, deal with, and he has to deal with them in a uniform way. So he has to operate out of fairness. And besides, if, if a God isn't fair, is he even worth following? And if a God doesn't treat everybody fairly, is he even worth listening to? I've got some, some shocking news, perhaps, this morning. And here's the news, that in fact, God is not fair. God is not a fair God. If you're looking for a fair God, stop looking, because he doesn't exist. If you're looking for a fair God, you set yourself up for one of two things. One, you set yourself up for idolatry. Because if you're worshiping a fair God, you're not worshiping the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Either that or you set yourself up for a monumental disappointment. You see, in fact, God is not fair. And we see that in the parable. But beyond the parable, we see that in our own lives. Are there wicked people around you that are prospering? To somebody who does not believe, have more than you who is faithful. That's not fair. Has one of your loved ones died and you're left here on this earth grieving, lamenting, mourning, and sorrow? That's not fair. 
have you been working here at St. Lawrence your whole life? And there's been people here who haven't lifted a finger and they're reaping the rewards of your hard work. That's not fair. God is not a fair God. The fair God does not exist. But thanks be to God that God isn't fair. And I, and I truly mean that. Thanks be to God that God isn't fair. Since Genesis 3, since Adam and Eve, the wages of sin has been death. That's what a fair God would give his people. That's what a fair God would give his people who turn their back on his righteous right hand. That's what a fair God would give his people who ruined his entire cre- creation. But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God does not treat us fairly. We see that in the parable. We see that the master goes to the marketplace not once, not twice, not a third time, not a fourth time, but yes, even a fifth time. The master goes to the marketplace until the last dying hour. And that's the type of God that you have. A God that pursues you. A master that pursues you until the last dying hour. You see that God is a drastically unfair God so that he can be extravagantly gracious to us. There's some some authors that call the cross the great unfair exchange. And I really think that that nails the point home this morning. The great unfair exchange. All of our sin for all of his goodness. You see, the crazy part is that God leaves us unpunished. A God who punishes sin every single time. A God who is a just God leaves us unpunished. And even more than that, he gives us a gift in the process. Not just a gift, a free gift. The gift of eternal life for all who believe no matter when. If you're the first or if you're the last. It's important to keep in mind that we have the joy of working in his vineyard. God expects us to continue living out this unfair life. God calls us to pray for our enemies. Is that fair? Absolutely not. God calls us to bless those who persecute you. Is that fair? Absolutely not. God calls us to turn the other cheek. God calls us not to seek revenge. Is that fair? Absolutely not. But we know that because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have no room to demand fairness. We know that as freely forgiven people, we can forgive people freely. So the meat and potatoes of this parable, what we've unearthed, what we've discovered, 
is that the parable isn't about when the workers got there. The parable isn't about the fact that the workers get paid the same amount of money. In fact, the parable isn't about the workers at all. The parable is about the worker. It's about Jesus doing the work for us, clothing us with his righteousness, giving us the crown of life. See, God is not a fairer God. And thanks be to God, because the gospel hinges, gospel hinges on God being drastically unfair to us so he can be graciously extravagant to us. So you see, the kingdom of heaven, God's active saving work that we talked about at the beginning, it doesn't work logically, it doesn't work mathematically, doesn't work systematically, and it certainly doesn't work fairly. But it does work absolutely. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. We pray. The words that we've heard this morning, Lord, the words that we will hear, we pray that they're implanted on our hearts to the glory of you and to the service of our neighbor. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.